Luke chapter number 19, we're going to begin reading this morning in verse 10, one of the verses that we looked at last week, Luke 19, beginning in verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he had returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. We're going to stop reading there, although the parable continues, and he calls into account the first in verse 16, where he says, Thy pound hath gained ten pounds. Verse 18, he called the second, and he said the pound had gained five pounds. And then verse 20, another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound. I have kept laid up in a napkin. He had not used or gained anything. Last week I started the message in... Uh, in the verse here where he says, verse number 13, Occupy till I come. Occupy until I come. I just gave the introduction basically last week, and so today I, I want to deal with the message. I just last week run through a, a few points at the very end of it, but I want to elaborate on that this morning. First, let me remind you, that the context here has to do with our Lord's concern for individuals. And in this case, it happens to be Zacchaeus. Uh, all the kids know about little Zacchaeus who was up the, up the tree and the Lord found him and the Lord delivered him. And uh, so it has to do with God's attention to the individual, his concern for individuals. But then the Lord expands upon this idea by giving this parable that I just read in part. But notice when he says, Occupy until I come. This is the command to his servants and what he has given to them to use for him. And he says, Occupy, that is, do business. Do business. Get at it. Stay at it. That's the whole idea. And if a person doesn't know what they're supposed to be doing, they're not going to do it. And the sad thing is, there are a lot of folks today professing Christians who seemingly have no idea what in the world they're supposed to be doing. That's inexcusable for any Christian to not know what God's plan is for their life. That's about as unchristlike as it gets. And I say that. Because Jesus knew exactly why he came. Verse 10, he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He knew why he was here. Do you know that the Lord had a mission statement 
over in Luke chapter number 4, he tells us, and this is when he was just a young lad among the first words that he ever spoke uh, here by way of ministry. And he says in verse number 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's his mission statement. And I can't read that without thinking about his great concern for individuals. Notice the people that he mentions there. He speaks about those that are poor, those that are brokenhearted, those that are captives, those that are blind, those that are bruised. And so in one way or another, that pretty well covers everybody at some time in their life. And it clearly shows the concern of Christ for people, for individuals, and it ought to be the same with us. No one should ever have to wonder what we're concerned about, what our mission is in life. It ought to be something that's obvious to those that know us best. So as we look at this parable this morning and we think about our responsibility, and whenever the Lord entrusted these things with those servants, it was their opportunity. So, you know, the pounds represent opportunities. We all have opportunities. God has entrusted all of us with something that is to be used, whether it's our time, our talent, you know, our tithe, whatever it is. The Lord expects us to use what we have received according to His will for our life. And that's the purpose of this parable. And as we look at it, there's several things that stands out in light of that statement, occupy till I come. First of all, the saint's responsibility demands that. This is really a simple story, but it's so very serious because here the Lord is pictured as a nobleman, a certain nobleman, it says, that would indicate somebody with considerable wealth, somebody with authority. And he gives to each of his ten servants a pound and tells them, take this, do business with it until I come back. Now, since they're servants, it's not left up to them to decide what they ought to be doing, right? A servant is not a master. A servant is someone who is under the authority of someone else and obligated to obey their master. So it's not for them to decide, well, you know, I, boy, this is just what I've been waiting for. I've been hoping that I would get this money because, you know, I wanted to buy this or buy that or I wanted to go somewhere. It's not up to them to decide what they're going to do with it. They know that the obligation, the responsibility is to invest it and use it in a way that is pleasing to Him, in a way that will, will accumulate gain in some way or not, uh, or, or not. So none of us have the, 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 the right or the, uh, you know, the feeling that we can just do what we want with our life. Amen. You know, I often think about the different ways that we expend our energy and our time in this world. 
And oftentimes, you know, I think about young people, you know, and they, whether it's sports or whether it's band or whatever, just something about it bothers me that, you know, a kid will take all of the lessons and I'm all, look, I'm all for them learning to play musical instruments and being in the band. I'm all for that. But whenever you learn to do that, take that which you have learned, take that which you have, that ability, and use it for the Lord. Don't stop, you know, just stop whenever you graduate from school. God has given you the ability to do those things, and so you ought to use the ability that you have to serve God in some way. And and the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that decides this issue as to what we're going to do with our life because we are to live under His authority, doing as He commands. So our business is to obey. It's just that simple. To obey Him and to use what we have in the way that He dictates. So that's the responsibility of all saints. Not just the deacons, not just the pastors, not just the Sunday school teachers. That's the responsibility of every child of God. If you are a Christian, you are just as obligated as I am and Brother Preston is. You are just as obligated to serve God as we are or anybody else for that matter. You have a responsibility. And we see that clearly here. But something else we see is that it's the steward's requirement that drives this, this doing business for the Lord. Now, the word steward might sound to you a whole lot like the word steward, but there's a difference. Whenever you think about a servant, and all of God's people are servants, but when you think about a servant, you're thinking of someone that is simply living, you know, under the authority of someone else. But the word steward indicates that this person has been entrusted with something. In other words, they, in some instances, have been given a limited amount of responsibility in addition to the funds or whatever else it might be that's to be used as the master would indicate. You know, somebody that was quite wealthy, that maybe had a lot of servants, they would appoint one of their servants as a steward over the others. That would be his, his business, his work, to oversee them. And so as stewards of the Lord, we've all received something. And the Bible says, moreover, brethren, it's required, not desired, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. What in the world does that mean? To be faithful, it means to do the best you can with what you have, where you are, while you can. And we can all be faithful. That's the wonderful thing about faithfulness is that it requires different things of different people. God doesn't expect from me what He expects from you. God expects me to do the best I can with what I have, where I am, while I can. And He expects the same thing from you. But we don't all have the same abilities. We don't all have the same opportunities. We don't all have the same experiences. So God uses all of us in different ways. And a person can live out the length of their life in a nursing home. Unable to get out and to knock on doors and to visit people. Unable to teach a Sunday school class. 
Because, you know, they're confined to a nursing home. But they can be faithful, just as faithful as you are attending church every Sunday, teaching Sunday school and singing in the choir and all of those other things that we associate with being a servant of the Lord. Faithfulness, that's what God is looking for. Faithfulness is what God is going to judge each and every one of us by. You know, He doesn't determine, He doesn't determine the value of our work by the amount of fame that we gain from what we do. I've often said, you know, I think when we get to heaven and we see those that are rewarded there at the judgment seat of Christ, I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, little gray-haired grandmothers. Of course, there won't be little gray-haired grandmothers up there. They'll have a glorified body. But those down here on earth, you know, that just little gray-haired grandmothers that have ministered to, to their children and to their grandchildren and have been so faithful to do what they can are going to have a lot more rewards than some, some of us pastors, you know. The pastors, you know, they tend to get all of the attention because, you know, they're behind the pulpit and they're front and center for everybody to see. But some of the greatest work that goes on goes on behind the scene where nobody sees. Nobody sees, but a lot of people feel the effect of that. And that's what the Lord is looking for, someone that understands that this is their requirement because they are a steward of the Lord. And, and that drives them. When, when you understand that's who you are as one of God's stewards, that drives you. It motivates you. And as somebody that loves the Lord, you shouldn't need any other reason than that. Amen? But there are other reasons. Not only that, the sinner's redemption deserves, deserves us to occupy it, to do business. When I say that, I don't mean they deserve salvation because none of us do. Salvation comes by grace. What I mean is they deserve to hear what we've heard, to have what we have in Christ. And I say that because of His concern for them and His command to us. The Apostle Paul understood that. He said, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I, I, I'm a debtor. You might be here this morning and say, boy, I've got all of my bills paid. I paid off Sears and Roebuck and Monkey Ward, and I've got all of my bills paid. My car's paid for. I don't, I don't owe anybody anything, but yes, you really do. You have a debt to pay to those that have not heard the gospel, that have not received the Lord Jesus Christ. When we hear the gospel, we incur an obligation to share it with others. And by the way, we can't do anything better than that. The best thing you can do for somebody is to share the gospel with them because their eternal destiny is at stake. And we have the solution to their most serious problem. And uh, that ought to motivate us to do something. Don't ever forget what happens to those who are the enemies of Christ. Look in verse 27. This is a reminder. He says, slay them. These are those that hated Him, despised Him. Those that would not allow Him to rule over them. And now, 
at the final sentence, the judgment day, he says, slay them before me. I can't think of anyone in this building that would not respond if they saw a house on fire. And you knew there was a family inside that house. You'd do everything you could to get them out. As I was sitting there thinking just a few minutes ago, my mind went back over the years and I can think of at least four different people, one of them a very dear friend of mine, a co-worker, and, and that, that, that were in accidents of different kinds. And, and uh, as quick as I could, I got there to the scene and watched them die. I wanted to help. I would have helped. I tried to help, but there wasn't anything I can do. I remember a man and a woman when I worked for the highway department in Missouri and there was a, was a terrible wreck and some way or another, it is, both of them were dead, elderly man and woman, and it threw the woman over across in the gear shift and just uh, plunged through her heart. And there they were, this elderly couple, lifeless. All of us would respond if we saw someone in need. And yet, so many times we fail to respond to those who have the greatest need of all. And that's the need of salvation. And we just walk on by. We just totally ignore that need. Even whenever we know, we know by their own profession that they've never been saved. Many years ago, I jotted down a little poem by Leonard Ravenhill. It says, could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just watch his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease in Zion with the world around you damned? Well, so many people, you know, we see the... We see the, the need of our nation and they respond in a political sense. Oh, I mean, they get active in whatever the particular party is. They jump in with both feet and they determine they're going to do what they can to change the landscape of the nation by getting their candidate in office. We think about those that see the need for education and boy, they work, you know, with their children in the PTA and they do everything they can to get a good education for their children. And, and we respond to all of these other needs, but so many times we totally ignore the most important need of all. And that is for people to be born again. Not only that, but the servant's reward depends upon it occupy till i come and as a servant of the lord our reward is going to depend upon that because every one of us has to give an account for the deeds done in the flesh when we stand at the judgment seat of christ by the way that particular judgment is for christian people it's the great white throne judgment where the unsaved appear before god but at the judgment seat of christ every single christian must appear there to give an account of the deeds done in the flesh. And the Bible says whether they be good or whether they be bad, we've got to give an account for the life that we live. Amen. Now, rewards are not our primary motivation, but they should be a consideration. 
That's what Jesus tells us. He, in fact, He commands us that we are to lay up treasures in heaven and not treasures upon this earth. In this parable, He only mentions three of the ten servants. Now, He could have mentioned all of them, but He's making a point and it wasn't necessary to deal with all of them. So, He mentions the one that has gained ten pounds, the one that has gained five pounds, and this other fellow that has gained absolutely nothing. The first two were rewarded. The last suffered loss instead of gain. Now, you might be here this morning. You think, well, I'm a Christian. I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't have anything to worry about. Well, all of that is wonderful. But you might think, well, just being saved and going to heaven... That's good enough, but you're really wrong. And I think we'll all change our mind when we realize what we could have had. Amen? You say, well, why are rewards so important? Well, I believe for one thing, what makes them so important is not what we receive from the reward, but that we'll be able to take our crowns and cast them down at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what makes them important because it'll be a revelation of our love for Him. That we were faithful. The Lord says, great is your reward in heaven. We don't have words to, to fully express the glory that awaits those that have faithfully discharged their duty. And we dare not ever treat that as a minor matter. You know, Paul, whenever he speaks about the believers and speaks about the future and the glory that's going to be revealed, you know, there are different degrees of punishment in hell, but there's also different degrees of enjoyment in heaven. Nobody in heaven's going to be miserable. We all know that. And some folks think, well, as long as we get there, that's all that's important. No, no. There are going to be those there. And Paul uses the illustration of the stars and how all of the stars are different, different in their magnitude and so forth. They're different. And he says it's the same way with us. There are different degrees of glory. In other words, some will have a greater capacity for enjoying the rewards and the presence of the Lord and the, all of the other blessings. They, they'll be able to enjoy it even more. Something that will be unknown to the other fellow. The other fellow's going in heaven and happy about that. But I don't know about you. I, I kind of want everything that's available. Amen? Amen? I don't want to shortchange myself. That's the whole point. Here's another thing. The Savior's realization of this delights in it. And when I say that, I'm talking about the fact that the Lord realizes what we've done for Him. Here on earth, I'm missing the little gray-haired grandmothers that don't get the attention that they deserve. And that the same could be said of, of a lot of folks you do good things, you serve the Lord, and you love the Lord and what have you, but it goes unnoticed by other people. You're faithful, but you don't gain any praise from man. Oh, I'm so glad that our blessed Lord, He sees it all. Amen. Amen. He knows exactly what we do. 
And the Bible says that he is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. He is aware of every deed, the thought of our heart. He's not only aware of the things that we do, but he's aware of the things that we would do if we could do. So what are you talking about? Well, David wanted to build God a temple, didn't he? And the Lord said no. Well, why, why would the Lord say no? He's, the Lord said no. But then he turned around and he said, but it was in thine heart. Yeah. I'm going to let Solomon build the temple. I'll let you supply the materials. But Solomon's going to build the temple. You've been a man of war. I'm going to let him build the temple. I had one work for you to do. And I have another work for him to do. But as far as the reward goes, he says, I know it was in thine heart. You would have if you could have. See, so many times we look at what people do. And we need to think about what they would do if they could do. And God realizes that He is aware of that. And He rewards us on the basis of the attitude of our heart and what we would do if we could do. Think about that. He realizes every deed and reserves a reward as a result of that. Knowing that is the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning, keeps us on our feet throughout the day, keeps us going whenever the going gets rough, and gives us peace when we pillow our head at night and the day has come to an end. And we lay down and we reflect back on the life that we've lived that day. And we find peace knowing that I know that I've done my best to please my dear Savior. And He is aware of it. He realizes that. I don't have to convince Him that I've done so. He knows so. And it's on that basis He's going to reward me. Then, not only that, when we think about occupying till He comes, there is the sacrifice of the Redeemer that demonstrates that for us. I mean, if we're going to find inspiration to do what we know that we ought to do, inspiration to faithfully discharge our duties, the best thing we can do is just look, look to Christ. Look to Calvary. And when we fail to do that, it leads to failure. There in Hebrews 12 and verse 2 where he says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. But verse 3 says, Consider Him. And he closes that verse by saying, Lest ye grow weary in your mind and faint. It says, We keep our eyes upon the Lord. And we think about the greatness of His sacrifice. When we think about what He did, the suffering that He went through, the love that He demonstrated, the concern that He showed for other people. How can we dare not give our very best like He did? We can't do what He did, but we can do as He did. Amen. We can give our very best. The problem is, lastly, the sin of rebellion distracts from this. 
He says, occupy, do business till I come. Do what I have commanded you to do. And for those of us that are Christians, it's clear we're to go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are to be witnesses for Christ. And that, that's very clearly laid out. So we have an obligation to do those things. But so many times we are distracted by sin in our life. I think everybody here would agree that we can't do anything more important than what God has called us to do. That is being occupied with His work. And yet some way or another, we oftentimes allow ourselves to get distracted from that. And those distractions can come from a lot of different things. It might be outright rebellion against the Lord. You know, it might be that something of this world has just caught our eye, something that has attracted us, something that has distracted us. And all of a sudden, you know, we've forgotten about what is most important. It might be something that is not necessarily in and of itself that is sinful. It might be a good thing. Usually good things are the greatest enemy of the best things. That's when sinless things become sinful, when we allow ourselves to get distracted by something that ordinarily it's a good thing, but it's not a good thing when it interferes with us doing the work of the Lord, doing the business of the Lord. That's why, why Paul said, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. If you're going to be a soldier in the Lord's army, you've got to be equipped and ready to go at a moment's call. You can't allow yourself to get entangled with all of the things of this life that's going to distract you. This message basically is a message to Christians. To those that profess to know Christ as their Savior. Those that in some instances you've, instead of occupying as He's, said to do, you, you've been wasting your life. You've not been investing it. You've been wasting it. You're not going to have a reward. You're going to suffer loss as a result of it. So the message has been basically for Christians and a challenge to them that we occupy, do business, the Lord's business, until He comes. But if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, just thinking about these things that we've mentioned here ought to be an evidence to you that God cares about you. Think about it. God sends His servants into all of the world. God subjects His own children to great suffering. He tells them that, you know, they are to deprive them themselves of things that are not sinful, things that are enjoyable. And he says, you know, that might be good for others, but not for you, because, you know, I've already, I've already laid out my plan for you. You are to be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. This is your job. This is your assignment. God subjects His own children to great suffering. Those that have been burned at the stake. Those that have been dipped in burning hot oil. Separated from their families. Called upon to sacrifice everything. 
that the crowning jewel of all is the fact that he sent his only begotten son for you, for you. Don't ever accuse God of not caring about you. He cares so much that he himself wrapped himself in a robe of flesh and condescended down to this old sinful earth, allowed himself to be beaten and bruised and nailed to the cross. And he did it all for you. That's how much God cares. God so loved the world that he gave. And what he gave was his only begotten son. Those of us that know the Lord is our Savior, that's the message we need to get to everybody. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that's the message you need to hear. Would you trust Him this morning? You don't have to beg God to save you. You don't have to hand God a big long list of all of the good things you've done in order to be saved. And That wouldn't help, by the way. You don't have to give every penny that you've got in the bank to become a Christian. That wouldn't help. All you have to do is place your faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in an instant, God will forgive you and God will not only forgive you, He will accept you into His family and give you the blessed assurance of a home in heaven when you die. And all of that could happen right here, right now, this morning. Will you trust Him? For those of you that are Christians, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to admit that we fail to do business for the Lord as we should. But I wonder, maybe there's someone, you don't have to confess it to me, but it might be, and it ought to be, that if you've neglected that great responsibility that you'll just come before the Lord this morning and say, Lord, I am so sorry. You told me to do business until you come. And I've been taking care of my own business and ignoring yours, and I am so sorry. And I repent of that sin this morning. Don't waste away the rest of your life. Get busy doing what is most important. And that's helping reach those that know not Christ as their Savior. Let's stand. Father, thank You, Lord, for sending someone into my life with the message of the Gospel. Heavenly Father, whenever I knew nothing about Christ, there was somebody that cared enough to tell me about Him. And Lord, I just pray this morning that each and every one of us might accept the challenge and obey the command that we'll do business, your business, as long as we possibly can here upon this earth. And Heavenly Father, for the person that's here this morning that doesn't know anything about how wonderful it is to be a child of God and to know they'll go to heaven when they die, I pray you'll speak to their hearts this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit might work in their heart and draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be saved. For we beg it in His dear name. Amen. Now as we stand and we sing, those awaiting baptism, if you'll come, please. Uh.